Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. All right, all right, all right. Come on in. But do not find your seats. Stand up. Stand up, stand up, stand up. All right, we are not getting started until everyone is standing up. I said stand, Cody. All right. So I asked Phil right before service to do us a favor. So we are going to go back into this song for just a minute, but we're not going to sing it. We're going to do some exercises because here's the deal. I am super jacked about this message, and if I'm jacked, you're going to be jacked. I want your blood pressure going, and just to be super clear, if you aren't jumping, we're not stopping until you start jumping. So, Phil, whenever you're ready, man. Yeah, let's do it. Come on. We're not starting until you're jumping. Everybody's jumping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Ryan, get, come on. Yeah. Son, son, come on. We're not starting till you're jumping. All right. There were, there were a couple stragglers. Jesus, give me grace for these people, including my son. Go ahead and grab your seat. Oh, man. Well, welcome to Easter Sunday, to Resurrection Sunday, whatever version floats your boat. And like I said, I am super, super jacked about this message. I know everybody that preaches says that. They come up like, I'm super jacked about this message, but I am literally super jacked about this message. So much so, Ike, you're going to have to stay on the mains all during service, dude, because I'm going to get really loud. My wife will tell you when I get excited, I get louder and louder and louder. So bring me down or leave me up. Leave me up. Maybe somebody needs to hear it, right? Well, hey, don't you know that there are different types of church services, right? Church services have personalities. Some church services are funny in nature, right? You go and you like you leave church service and there were jokes and there were humor maybe some funny stories and you leave and you're like man that was that was a funny service you leave feeling entertained and some church services are more serious you might have heard like a fancy church word called it was like anointed it was anointed or there was there was like you leave and there's teaching and wisdom and you're like man that was that was really good but maybe you're convicted Or maybe there's like a drama, like a good drama, a drama church service where you leave and you just like you're you're convicted and the Holy Spirit's working on you and you're like maybe a little sad, but like sad in a good way. And so as I was preparing for this message, like I was trying to figure out how to classify this message. What will this message feel like? And uh, don't let the shirt distract you. It's a nice shirt, right? I saved this one for you guys. There's going to be humor, no doubt. 
Humor's good. Humor's good for the soul. There's going to be instruction, no doubt. And I've been praying for weeks that the Holy Spirit would be here, that there would be an anointing, because when there is anointing, lives get changed. But if you came today expecting like a sappy Easter church service, you came to the wrong service. We're starting the Defender series this week, and I am like mildly ticked off in a good way. I'm like mildly irritated in a good way. Like as we were jumping up and down, right, did you feel that? Like if you ever played a sport in high school, like before you go out on the field and you get all worked up? Or like a boxer in the corner, like before he goes out, right, before the bell rings, and he's just like ready to go. Or like maybe even a soldier, like a soldier who's like just dialed in. They call that like the thousand-yard steer, like they're just dialed in. But I'm trying to figure out like what's this service going to be, and the best description of today's service is that it is a monster truck rally. It is a monster truck rally. Like, you're going to leave, like, whoo, kicking indoors, super excited, like, ready to actually do something. And so, like I said, we're kicking off today with our Defender Series. And the Defender Series came to me a couple months ago. I was sitting on the couch, and I was doing, I was doing old people stuff. You know what old people stuff is? Old people stuff is when you're reading the news on your phone while listening to the news on the TV. I was listening to two different things of news in the living room. Old people stuff. That's what happens when you turn 40. The only other, like, and flip back and forth to, like, the weather channel. Like, 50 times a day. That's what old people do. Don't you know, and hopefully you do this, if you listen to the news, I hope that you get your news from more than one location. Like, in today's age... You have to consume news from more than one outlet in some desperate attempt to triangulate reality. And even more so, to try to triangulate truth. And in that moment, as I was sitting on the couch, it was like I was listening to one outlet, listening to another outlet. They were covering the exact same thing that happened, and you could not, like, you couldn't believe that you were listening to the same event being described. Like one outlet was saying one thing, the other outlet was saying the other thing. It was like, I felt in my head I was going crazy. And in that moment, as I was like getting just irritated and frustrated, as more deception and more lies and more disinformation was coming at me from both locations, I heard God say to me, almost in an audible voice, who? Who in this generation is going to stand up for objective biblical truth? Who is it going to be? Who is going to be the defenders of biblical truth? Who is going to stand up to the lies? Who is going to stand up to the deception? Who is going to be unashamed in biblical truth and stand for something? When cancel culture comes for us, and it will, Who is going to be the one who's not afraid to be called a bigot or a racist or a misogynist or any descriptive that they want to throw out there? Not because it's true, but because you're simply standing for biblical truths that are in this book. Who's it going to be? Who is going to be 
unapologetic, uncancelable, and unashamed of biblical truths. Who's it going to be? And so as I was sitting there, I got to thinking about it. And as I got to thinking about our church, which we love our church, and there are incredible people in this church and in the Big C Church all around this world, I started to sense an issue. I started to sense maybe a problem. I started to kind of have this vision of who Jesus was. Like, who is the biblical Jesus that we see? Not the Jesus that culture has shown us Jesus to be. You know the Jesus I'm talking about. The Jesus that walks around, meek and mild, patting little kids on the head, petting animals everywhere. The weak Jesus. The, my wife correctly coined this, the hey buddy Jesus. You know what a hey buddy Jesus is? Hey buddy Jesus is like, hey buddy, I know you're doing something wrong, but I love you and I want you to do the right thing. Hey, Jesus is not a hey buddy parent. I hate to break it to you. And so, as I got to thinking about it more and more, I was like, okay, what do you call this Jesus? And I call this Jesus the Sunday school Jesus. And if you're about my age or so, you probably know exactly who I'm talking about. The water cooler, uh, watercolor uh, painting, animal carrying Jesus that's in every picture that you look for. And to prove my point, I grabbed some pictures from Google for all of you to enjoy. If you Google Jesus, this is what you see. I'm not even joking. Like, you don't even have to Google, like, watercolor Jesus. If you just Google images of Jesus, this is who you will find. Jesus is good with animals. Jesus is good with children, apparently. He can play a mean game of football. I promise this did not come from some sort of adult website. I don't even know what's going on here. Other than he's also good with people and also good with animals, once again. He's good with animals. I mean, my point is it goes on and on and on. He's good with animals. He's good with lambs, especially. He's always smiling, and he always has salon-quality hair products of some sort. (laughs) But here's the reality. I don't know if this is true for you, but it's true for me. I have a very, very hard time identifying with that Jesus, connecting with him in any sort of way. When I look at that Jesus, I do not see a Jesus that defeated death and sin and came to save my soul and your soul. That's not what I see in that Jesus. And so when we look at the scriptures, like, who is Jesus? Well, the scriptures tell us that he was the Lion of Judah. Well, that doesn't sound like the pictures that we just looked at, does it? It also calls him a warrior many times in the Bible, not just a couple, many times. A warrior king in Exodus, Isaiah, Samuel, Jeremiah, Revelation, the examples go on and on. The Lord will go forth like a mighty warrior. And yet, if you Google search for Warrior King, Jesus, Warrior King, I'm not even joking. You can barely find a picture that even remotely describes what this should look like. And the couple that you can find, I only am going to show you one 
because the other one was Jesus smoking with a bandana holding an AK-47. And I just didn't feel like it was appropriate. But there is one example. Here he is. Jesus, the warrior king. It's so bad, right? And like I said, I didn't show the other picture because I, I wanted to be sensitive. Like people were like, hey, Kip, that was kind of an offensive picture to show of Jesus, and I would agree with you. But I would also offer no more so than any of the other pictures I just showed you. And so as we're in this Defender series over the next few weeks, we're going to start for this message in Revelation. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn in Revelation. We're going to start in chapter 12. And while you get there, just a little bit of background. Revelation is written by John. John um, is addressing the seven churches in Asia. And it's called an apocalyptic scripture. And as Chris has mentioned before from stage, that, that word doesn't mean what it means in kind of modern culture. Apocalyptic simply means the revealing of the divine. And so in uh, chapter 12, verse 3, we're going to pick up. And it says, Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to earth. Then jumping down to verse 7. Then a terrible war broke out in heaven. I want to pause right there. Where there is a war, you will find a warrior. Michael and his angels fought back against the great dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon did not have the power to win, and they could not regain their place in heaven. So the great dragon, the one that was thrown down once and for all, he was the serpent, the ancient snake, who we just sung about, crushing his head. Called the devil, the Satan who deceives the whole earth, he was cast down into the earth with his angels along with them. And so as we're reading that, we see this picture of a war in heaven, and we see the archangels and Jesus leading a heavenly force against Satan. And it says that a third of the angels, or a third of the stars specifically, were thrown down. Now, I don't know about you, have you ever wondered how many angels are actually in heaven? Kind of an interesting question, right? I don't know about you, but I will often kind of visualize angels in heaven as like a lot, but like thousands, or maybe tens of thousands, like a bunch of them. But it says that a third were thrown down. Well, if we assume that there is an angel per star, then that means that at our current count of stars in the known universe, and by the way, this is uh, our current count. It's changing all the time because our technology is getting better, and quite literally the computers that we need to compute how many stars are in the known universe keep getting better and better. But at our best guesstimate right now, we believe, or astronomers believe, that there are a septillion stars in the known universe. And you're like, wow, that really sounds like a big number. It actually kind of sounds like you made it up, Kip. <laughs> well, to give you some context, because here's the thing about numbers. When you get to this large of a number, 
our brains kind of just turn into mush. Like we can't fathom some of this information. So a septillion is a one with 24 zeros behind it. Okay, that also sounds like a big number. Some more context. Here's a thought exercise. If you started now counting one number per second for 24 hours a day to get to a billion, a billion, it would take you 37 years, just under 37 years. That's a billion. Our brains do not understand the difference between a billion and a trillion. If you did the same exact exercise, one number per second, 24 hours a day, it'll take you just under 37,000 years to get to a trillion. A trillion. A septillion, you ready for your head to just A septillion is if you have a trillion, so 37,000 years to get there, a trillion, a septillion is a trillion of those. And that's our best guess right now with the technology that we have. To say that the angels in heaven would be innumerable would be an understatement. And so while we're talking about angels real quick, we should recalibrate around them too. Who are they? What do we know about them? What do they look like? Well, when you look at the scriptures, time and time again, when an angel of the Lord appears to a person, what do they say? Does anybody know? Do not be afraid. Why would we be afraid, you ask? Aren't angels like Twinkerbell, like little fairies that buzz around with little wings and they like sprinkle dust everywhere? Why would I be afraid of that? In Luke, when the angel of the Lord appears to Mary, do not be afraid. In Luke, again, when he appears, appears to the shepherds, do not be afraid. In Daniel, when he appears to Daniel, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid when the angel of the Lord appears at the tomb. Do not be afraid when the angel of the Lord appears to Paul. Time and time again, angel of the Lord appears to people and they say, do not be afraid. I'm not sure... I think it might be the same person that does the watercolor photos of Jesus, but whoever decided that angels should be the, like these um, mild-looking, slightly effeminate, chubby 15-year-old babies probably should get smacked upside the head. Because the angels that I see in the Bible say, do not be afraid. It's like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so the question must be asked, what does it say of a Savior, a Jesus, that commands the authority, respect, and leadership of a septillion of these heavenly hosts. It's not the watercolor Jesus. It's the commander of heaven's armies. We simply cannot fathom the war that is happening in the heavenly and cosmic realm. And we simply cannot fathom the commander, the warrior king that commands that army. We see in part, so we know in part. And we try to minimize these ideas into our head so that we can understand them, but we're doing ourselves a disfavor. In Philippians, 
quite famous verse, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Bet your butts they will. And so what do we see of the picture of Jesus that's starting to take form here? We see Jesus, time eternal, before creation, leading heaven's armies, a force so large that our brains quite literally cannot understand it. But what about the Jesus to come? What about the Jesus in the future? Well, let's spend some more time in Revelation. Let's jump over to chapter 19. We're going to be in verse 11. And we sang much of this verse in that last song. And so I'll read it to you. Then I saw the heavens open wide, and oh, a white horse and its rider. The rider, named Faithful and True, judges and makes war in pure righteousness. His eyes are a blaze of fire, and his, on his head are many crowns. He has a name that's inscribed that's known only to himself. He is dressed in a robe soaked with blood, and he is addressed as Word of God. And the armies of heaven mounted on white horses and dressed in dazzling white linen follow him, innumerable in number, I would add. A sharp sword comes out of his mouth so that he can subdue the nations, then rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the raging wrath of God, the sovereign strong. And on his robe and thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up. This is not a handshaking, baby-kissing, lamb-hugging Jesus, is it? It says that his name is literally faithful and true. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. His name is synonymous with truth. Don't you know that we have a truth crisis in this country today? Everywhere you turn, my truth, your truth, his truth, her truth, their truth. I want to explain something because somehow this has been missed. Truth, by its very definition, literally means narrow and exclusive. Nothing waters down the word truth by putting your in front of it. Has anybody here seen The Princess Bride? A few? You remember Inigo Montoya? People keep saying my truth and your truth. And it's like, you keep using that word, but I don't think you actually know what it means. Truth is, by its very definition, people use the word literally all the time. I'm going to literally use the word literally and use it correctly. <laughs> literally, truth can only be one. Truth, by its very nature, like if you look at the definition, it is narrow and exclusive. There is one version of it. When you say that there's multiple versions of truth, you're actually saying an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. It cannot exist. And yet, it's all around us, all these like variations of truth. Listen, church. Listen very, very closely. Ideas matter. Words matter matter. Actions matter and truth matters. 
When God put on my heart this series, it's what it was all about. Who is going to be a defender of biblical truth? And that night when that happened, in that very moment, that very night, it changed the way I prayed over my children. It didn't didn't necessarily change it. I added a component to it. And now every night over both of my sons and my daughter, I pray that they would be bold and confident, that they would be unashamed, and that they would be defenders of truth. Because they are going to grow up in a world that makes what we're dealing with right now child's play. And that they would grow up not being ashamed of the name of Jesus and not being ashamed to stand up for biblical truth, regardless of what anybody says against them. So where are we at now in this picture of who Jesus is? Jesus eternal, the warrior king. Jesus to come, the warrior king, whose name is faithful and true. But what of the Jesus that came to earth? What of the Jesus that came to save you and me? What of the Jesus that came and spent a day on the cross and rose again? In Revelation, we see that Jesus is returning on a white horse, which is interesting because in comparison, the Jesus you see in Matthew rides into Jerusalem on a colt. Jesus comes to earth for a different mission. He's still the commander of heaven's armies, but he comes to shed his blood on the cross, to be the sacrificial lamb, to be a different type of commander, to, be, to put down his warrior king status and go over to savior king status. It's a different mission. And so like I said, you see this different picture of Jesus as he's riding into Jerusalem on a colt. And so... Because he has this different mission, we see it in Luke. So in Luke, he talks about um, essentially the the three uh, uh, lost, um, basically the three lost people that he's going after. You hear the lost coin, the lost sheep. And so the parable of the sheep in Matthew, excuse me, in Luke. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came after Jesus to listen to him teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with sinful people, even eating with them, heaven forbid. And so Jesus tells them a story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders And when he arrives, he will call all of his friends together, neighbors and all, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. The Jesus we see that came to earth is the same Jesus with a different mission. Jesus launches the most ambitious, audacious, and radical rescue mission the universe has ever seen. And while it's true, Jesus does 
Don't hear me wrong on this. Jesus embodies grace and humility, compassion and love, because we had to see that in order to identify with him. But the reality is, is that he is still the same commander of heaven's armies and all the heavenly hosts that he was in Revelation when he comes to earth. Listen, there's only one way that Satan can be defeated, and it requires a commander like Jesus. I'll put it this way, or I guess I'll say, I'll share what John says. For the greatest love of all is that sacrifices his life for someone else. And this great love is demonstrated when a person gives his life for his friends. Jesus becomes the Savior King. Voluntarily putting down his place in heaven, coming to earth, being arrested by the Romans, enduring threats and beatings, being spit on, being jailed, and ultimately being crucified for you and me. And so when I think of Jesus, and I would offer when any of us think of Jesus, these are the pictures that I want to look at. The Jesus that gave it all for us. The Jesus that like the commander he was, wasn't forced to Calvary, but willingly on his own accord went to the hill on our behalf under his own power. As I close and the band comes up, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Go ahead. The question for me, and I believe the question for all of us, is who will be the generation that defends biblical truth? Who will be the ones who are unapologetic for defending biblical truths, who are unashamed, who are willing to look a fool, not because of anything that they've done, but because they're simply standing up for what is biblically true. In the famous book by George Orwell, 1984, it says, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. Listen, church, there is a war raging all around us. Currently not a physical war, but a spiritual war, a war of ideas. Ideas matter. Words matter. Truth matters. And actions matter. And where there is a war, you will find a warrior. Students, this is especially true for you. Listen, if you're in the school systems today, I want you to listen carefully to me. Know the difference between education and indoctrination. Know the difference between just... Know the difference between learning to think and being told what to think. Parents, listen, start, if you haven't already, start 
every time you see something that is not true, that you know does not align with Scripture, do not miss an opportunity to correct that in the minds of your children. Even the smallest things point out to them, this is not true. What you just heard in that song, on that show, in that movie, from that neighbor kid, that is not true. Use every opportunity to be pointing our next generation to truth. Listen, those that control ideas control the narrative. It's time that we control the narrative. Not because it's a power thing, but hear me on this. When we control the narrative, that means there's more opportunity for people to come to know Jesus. When we point out truth and reject untruth, more people will get the opportunity to know that Jesus. Listen, the only thing that is required for evil to prevail is for men and women to do nothing and say nothing. Church, it's our opportunity. We are quite literally living in the time and space right now where we must become fanatical about defending biblical truth. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, on this resurrection day, Lord, we are so thankful for what you've done on the cross and for what the empty tomb means for those that know you. Lord, we cannot even begin to fathom the war that is taking place all around us in the heavenly realms for the souls of those that do not know you. In Revelation, it says that you are faithful and true, and I know that to be true because I saw how faithful you were just today, this morning. As my 64-year-old father publicly declared his love and affection to you in baptism. You will leave no stone unturned. You will leave no door kicked in, no wall torn down to come after us, your children who you love so much that you went to the cross for us and that they hated so much that they literally hated you to death. But you had a much bigger plan. And after three days, you rose and you conquered death so that no one else has to be separated from you if all they do is admit that you are the Lord and you are their Savior and that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that you are commander of heaven's armies, a picture that we can't even wrap our heads around. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you went to the cross for us. Thank you that you defeated death for us. Thank you that you are coming after every single person. Lord, that you will not relent. Lord, may it be, if no one else is, that Church 214 would become fanatically known 
for defending biblical truth at every opportunity, that there would be no opportunity when untruths are spoken in our presence. Lord, I pray for this Defender series, Lord, that it would ignite something in this church body that hasn't been ignited before. Lord, that not just men, but men and women would become absolutely obsessed with truth in all areas. Father, we thank you for these things. Once again, we thank you for your son, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.